Welcome to Compass Teachers Show. I'm your host, Tiffany. My job is to interview teachers around the world and tease out their teaching tactics, education research, or tools they use. Hopefully, this show can offer some ideas for you to experiment in your classroom. <coughs> this episode is on the bow phenomenon-based learning. According to phenomenal education sites. In phenomena-based learning and teaching, holistic real-world phenomena provides the starting point for learning. The phenomena are studied as complete entities in their real context, and the information and skills related to them are studied by crossing the boundaries between subjects. Today, we are really lucky to have Ilona Taimila joining us, who is specialized in phenomena-based learning, design thinking, participatory processes. And sustainability. Ilona has an over twenty-five years of experience from training teachers in Finland nationwide and now more internationally. She is the CEO of Helsinki Education Consulting Group. She provides consulting services to cities and schools in implementing the new Finnish national curriculum. With her long experience from being a classroom and subject teacher, a university researcher. To an executive director and an administrator, she is no doubt an engaging, energizing, and sought-after speaker. Now let's enjoy our conversation with Ilona. Ilona, thank you to join me today. Thank you for inviting. I'm I'm very happy to be with you here talking about phenomenon-based learning. Before we dive into phenomenon-based learning, could you give us a little bit of background why Finland introduced the, this new way of learning? In Finland, we have a national curriculum for the basic education, and it's always for ten years. The new curriculum that we have started in 2016, and actually in 2014 already it was given given to the municipalities from the from the education board. In this new basic curriculum, it was introduced that we need to have more of these holistic, interdisciplinary kind of、um, study units in 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 school, and that is also because we need to be teaching our students about about the world, you know, holistically, and not only looking at everything so kind of with the subject lenses, and that is why phenomenon-based learning. Um, came and、uh, in the curriculum it says kind of、um, that there needs to be these interdisciplinary units and the phenomenon based learning itself is really from Helsinki kind of an initiative on the more kind of on the pedagogy that how to how to implement this interdisciplinary. Ilona, you mentioned about interdisciplinary. Why we want to focus on this? Well, like like a little bit, I was already saying that that we. We have real-world phenomenon, in, and、um, and sometimes you know when a student goes according to the timetable from, especially in those grades where where there there is different subject teachers also that you go from from one、um, subject to another subject and so forth, you get a kind of a maybe a narrow understanding of the of the world because we have、um, at the moment really big holistic and these kind of World wicked problems that we need to be able to, as a, as a human kind, we need to be able to solve, and they are all inter intertwined and、uh, connected to each other. 
And that's why we also need to start teaching our students how the world functions and, and how these real world phenomenons are intertwined and how different subjects sort of um, support each other. And especially in Finland, we have a um, very much autonomy for the teachers at schools that, that they are able to to you know sort of plan their plan their own lessons. It means that if if um, the curriculum wouldn't in a way even force them to collaborate, sometimes then they would you know just do their own planning and and teach their own subjects and and know nothing about what the other teachers are doing about. So this sort of in in a way also forces the subject uh, subject teachers to 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 join the co- um, plan and then also implement the lessons together. Got it. It sounds like we want more connection and relation between each subject, so we can provide more holistic uh, experience for the students. So, how do you define phenomenon-based learning personally? What are the key ingredients there? The the key ingredients is really this this um, interdisciplinary. So sometimes you know I've been I've been said that phenomenon-based learning is like pro- project-based learning or problem-based learning or inquiry-based learning. I have been an IB teacher previously, and IB, the International Baccalaureate Organization, which is world known almost in every every country, there's an IB IB schools. And IB is inquiry based, so so that is something that you know that the students have to inquire into the the different kind of um, um, maybe phenomena and so forth. But but these are done usually also by subject teachers on their own. Um, only recently, IB has also started to 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 say that there has to be these transdisciplinary units. Project based learning then it can also be done only by by one subject teacher on on their own and even problem based so so that so phenomenon based learning is really different from these that it always requires um uh, interdisciplinary planning and and execution so that's like i think number one kind of key ingredient that is different from from other and then also in a way that the phenomenon based learning how we have now been starting to to implement it in some of the schools is that even the the grade levels can be mixed up so that the students can be of different ages in, in the same study group and um and they also you know work together so that it doesn't have to be only only like you know for one for one grade and that is because also if you think about it when the students come into um to study a phen- phenomena um they they might have different kind of earlier Uh, understandings of 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 what it is, and basically the phenomenon based learning starts from the student's own question: that what do I already know about it? And that is why, you know, there can be different age group students because some people, some students might have other other things that they know, and some some other things that, so that they can be also experts by themselves. And then they start um, making it, get, going into the inquiry in, in the way as well. That what do I want to know? About it, phenomenon-based learning—it's really more about the process, and not really about the product. So that the teacher and the students don't really know what comes out of it after, because there needs to be the flexibility and, and openness of curiosity and um, creativity during the process. But that what comes out of it, and then you know they have learned really these kind of transversal 
skills that what we talk about, that what are the future skills that the student need, need to learn. So would you mind sharing as one of your favorite phenomenon-based learning projects you designed before so that we can understand more how it looks like in practice? It, it's got to do with ethics. I used to be an ethics teacher a long, long time ago. Because in Finland, we also have a compulsory religion to, uh, that is being taught. So there was different religion teachers and me as an ethics teacher doing a project together with um, the biology teacher and also like a health education teacher. The phenomenon was really about the kind of um, ethical dilemmas that we have in, 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 in our society with, you know, that has kind of a biological or health angle. And the students were able to then start um, making their different kind of, you know, inquiries into what are the kind of ethical dilemmas that they know that exists and um, what do they know about them already and what do they want to then. There was really, really, you know, excellent kind of uh, studies made by the made by the students. And uh, the thing is that we never would have been able to design the whole thing by teachers or, you know, by, our, by ourselves. So there needs to be this um, openness for, for student activity and creativity. And uh, some of the students were more interested, for example, about genetically modified foods, or some of the students were more interested in um, designer babies, you know, that the baby's kind of DNA and everything is designed. And uh, so these are the kind of things that I think, give much, much more to the students once once they once they start learning about, you know, the process and how than if if somebody would be just uh, telling them about it or, or if they if they were just reading about it in a textbook. In one of the schools, because I've worked on the school level much more on as an when I was in the administration of the city of Helsinki, there was also one school that uh, made made an inquiry into all of the parents of the 500 plus students that they have, that if there is anybody in the parents that would be sort of willing to share their knowledge with, with the students when they're doing the phenomenon-based um, learning unit. And uh, it's amazing that how, you know, many parents also want to engage with the, with the students or invite them maybe to their own workplaces or come to the school and, and tell and show. So, so that is something that is really, really, I think the phenomenon-based learning, at least in Finland, has has um, given the school and uh, kind of made a better bridge with the, with also with the parents. Mm -hmm. So in this ethical dilemma project, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. first step for teachers to introduce this issue or phenomenon to te mm -hmm. uh, to students and the students, what would they do uh, after that? Yeah, so how the phenomenon-based learning it actually goes is, is that there needs to be kind of a planning phase first with uh, among the different subject teachers. And if there, if, if it's on the, on the grade level where there's a classroom teacher, of course, also the classroom teacher can, can um, plan it with, with other subject teachers. So the planning phase is really important in a way that that is when you, of course, you look, in, look into the content that is in the curriculum that has to be kind of studied during, during, during the, the phenomenon. But um, the, it cannot be so much designed by the 
teachers that the teachers sort of because sometimes you know the teachers plan it too much in a way that they they plan all these kind of tasks and assignments that, that that the students have to do and that is then you know we are then taking taking control from the students own learning path that they have to themselves design it but but then what do the teachers do in the planning phase is also to look at what are the transversal skills that actually the students need to learn during this uh, phenomena in 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 finland we have been ranked um, number one in 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 the world to to teach the future skills and um, the thing is that the the future skills uh, what we have uh, said that 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 are in the in our curriculum are for example critical thinking um, taking care of oneself and uh, then there is this kind of cultural identity cultural aspects mm-hmm. um, there's also the communication skills and not only lang- uh, writing or or speaking or um, reading or these kind of things but also in the communication it, it's really important to look into the videos or or the photographs and understanding that how they can be manipulated and also there's kind of skills on for of course the ICT skills um, as well but then also entrepreneurial skills in a way that how how you are able to carry out a project um, and then there's also skills on participation how you participate and how you participate into in the society and how you are building um, sustainable future for for you know this kind of what we call is the eco-social skills so these are the kind of skills that that needs to be taught in every subject but also in in in, in every phenomena but they cannot be taught in in every phenomena during you know so that they have to be chosen that this particular phenomena this this unit maybe we choose two of them and we concentrate on that and that is something that that then the teacher has to facilitate and um and to make to tell the to tell the students that when you are doing your own inquiry and you have to you are going to present or you're going to do some kind of a product afterwards that these are the kind of skills that you you, you will be maybe also assessed because the assessment then is also that um, is continuous, it's for, formative assessment, what we talk about. In, and um, so there can be a pre-assessment. What do you know already about the phenomena? What are the kind of skills that you already have? And then what are the skills and uh, the content that you're learning during, during the whole, you know, the unit? Let's say the unit is maybe about, you know, seven or eight weeks. So this is the planning phase. Um, but then comes kind of a tuning in that you tune in to the phenomena or you, how would I say, kind of motivate the teacher, uh, the students into it. And that can be, you know, you visit museums or you read a book or you watch a video or, uh, or you already, already in that one, you can already engage with an expert from outside. So it can be very, very many different ways of how to, how to motivate the students into well let, let's look into this phenom- phenomena what is it all about and after that then the students sort of come into this conceptualization um, that they have to think about it what do i already know they might do a mind map for example and that can be a kind of a pre-assessment of it um or 
or, you know, discussions or whatever, or even a quiz, if you want to give even a test. So that the test, usually we give it as a summative test, but there can be a test already straight away. So what do you already know? And then after that, they can make the questions. What do I want to know? And you can make the students into groups of um, that kind of groups who have similar interests. And then they go into the inquiry. And then they, you know, can ask other experts again about it or make interviews or, or research or or visits to different places and so forth. What What is required in order to, to, to get more information about the phenomena. And during all this time, there needs to be a lot of, lot of talking, discussion, formative assessment. Um, the teachers are like facilitators. And then at the end, you know, sometimes we have no idea like what comes out. Um, there can be products, there can be presentations, there can be even a play or, 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 or a debate. Or whatever. Um, I remember when I was a teacher. Also, you know, sometimes my my students they did some of them they did even a Minecraft um, kind of a game, or some of them they did an animation. So so there can be a lot of different things that they can teach teach each other even, and um, and um, and then at the end, you know, sometimes a lot of them. Um, Schools also in Finland nowadays have, for example, open houses or exhibitions or events where they then invite the, the parents or the even wider society to come and see what the students have been learning. Let me review the own process a little bit. So the planning phases would be first narrow down the future skills you want to targeting in phenomenon based learning and also the relevant topic right and yeah, yeah. and then after that it would be planning the uh, formative assessment along the way for different skills that align with the issue we are we are embedding in the phenomenon based learning so the I'm curious the first step, like narrowing down the scale with different subject teachers. How do you have any tips and um, tools or advice that you would give for people who collaborate between different subject teachers and trying to narrow down the things they want to targeting at? Um, the thing is what, what I have been doing because I've been you know teaching a lot of like on the school level, the, the the teachers and um, and so forth is that um, of course every every school has their own kind of how they organize the whole school um, the timetable the you know the who teaches what and so forth but the thing is that what usually I have been doing with them is is really what I call like um, mining the the curriculum and mining the timetables and so forth so that so that it is a big really big process. To look at it first on a, on a big picture, that when we start in Finland, we start the school. Actually, tomorrow is the, the day in August. And then we start in August and then we go um, up, to, up to June, beginning of June. So you need to look at the whole year. Okay. And then during the whole year, how many different kind of phenomena do we have? In some schools, they have maybe two. In some schools, three. I know a school that has four, 
or six during the whole year. So then you need to, you know, per, per student, if you look at it on a student level. And then, then you need to look at what are the kind of skills and content that they need to learn during that particular year. And then you divide those. You look into the, you, you look into the curriculum. What are the kind of subjects that go together? What are the kind of th- thematic uh, phenomena that come from different, different subjects together? And then they are making those plans um, on, a, on a year on a, on a, for the year. And then it's easier to look into the whole, like one unit only. You look at okay because these are the these are the subject teachers that I'm um, collaborating in this unit. Maybe in the next unit is different. One can be more kind of uh, sided on on mathematics and science. The other unit can be more um, leaning towards form creative and and artistic or or these kind of. So then of course the skills um, that we have these transversal skills for the future. We also then look at it, look it up so that what are the ones that are needed in that particular unit, or what is kind of more natural to to learn during that particular unit. For example, um, in in one phenomena, if they are looking into all kind of you know living things and they are maybe growing growing um, plants and uh, making studies about the plants and uh, and about nature and so forth, then of course they need to be learning more about these eco-social um, skills and uh, and how to be how to be more sustainable and and so forth, and how to, how what kind of actions that they are doing in their own life um, actually build us a better future. So so they really they really um, go with the unit in a way that you know once you start looking at the whole bigger picture then it's easier to see that, okay, actually, these are this skill we need to do during this year. It goes automatically to, to one, of the, one of the units. Maybe coding goes into the one that has more uh, mathematic, mathematical skills and so forth. Great. Could you give a few examples that you have seen schools pick uh, as their phenomenon topic? Like what phenomenon they picked before? Nowadays and also like last year, there was more and more these kind of phenomenons that are very um, topical and which are, you know, kind of, you know, comes from the, from our society, and we need to think about. So, so the climate change, the sustainability, circular economy, you know, plastic in our oceans. These are the kind of things that are, are are all the time very current, and and of course now at the moment what we've been having is is. Um, the the COVID nineteen in the way that mm-hmm. what are what are the pan- pandemics and uh, what are the kind of you know how do they start and how do they so so often these current phenomenons that are happening in around us are something that are also triggers the curiosity of the students um, very easily. Or for example, the Black Lives Matter movement that mm-hmm. even from the USA came all the way up to Finland. We had even demonstrations. So, so these are the kind of things that the students are very motivated into into researching and, and and thinking about that. How does it affect their life and what kind of a future we are building? Because why the students are in the school in the first place? They are there in order to become active citizens later later in their life or, or already during their school time. 
So, so we need to, you know, involve their kind of um, understanding of the world already, and uh, and 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 that that motivates them also to research and and to to learn more about the different topics. Also, the sustainable development um, goals that the United Nations have set up for 2030. Uh, the SDGs, like we we talk about them, the Agenda 2030, it's something that um, has a lot of different kind of things that can be implemented in in different phenomena, and that is something that some of our schools have taken also. Like last uh, last year, I remember that some um, schools only looked into into those and were looking at um, and asking also the their their students about the phenomena. In in high schools, we also have schools that. Um, only you know sort of plan the phenomenon from the students so that their students are able to vote and um and um kind of introduce the different phenomena that they want to they want to be studying mm-hmm. so it's not it doesn't only come from like top down it, it also needs to be involving the students and their own uh, interests and curiosity really great points in phenomenon-based learning. The phenomenon is really current, so students will feel more relevant and engaging in these projects. Also, Ilona, you mentioned about after the planning and the stu- the teacher would tune in to phenomenon by providing some uh, media like videos or even in-flight expert to give a speech to the student to introduce the phenomenon. And then the students will have a think about it and having a mind map. I'm curious, what does mind map look like? The the mind map, of course, in the beginning, it, it's really um, for the students to make a mind map of what they already know about the phenomena. Because sometimes, you know, if we talk about, for example, the Second World War or the... Or the um, um, the Holocaust, for example, of, of what happened to the Jewish people. In in Finnish curriculum, it comes in the eighth grade, and um, that the students need to learn about these things. But then, if we actually, you know, talking already about, um, let's say, Black Lives Matter for the sixth graders or seventh graders and so forth, um, they might be interested into into looking at injustice in history or injustice in our society already previously. So they might start looking into it. And and the thing is that, like, what do they already know about it before going into any kind of inquiry? So it's kind of a kind of a test or something that they do the mind map without using any books or without, um, you know, reading, reading about it more or 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 so forth. And that is then that can be then taken again as a tool at the very end of the unit let's look into the mind map that you did six seven weeks ago what did you write on it or what did you draw on it that what did you know about the phenomena when you started the process and then they realize that hey i know so much more and then you can maybe even take a different color and um and draw and write on it more that what have i learned during this phenomenon based learning unit um, and it can be also digital. You know, there's a lot of different digital tools to make um, 
these uh, mind maps. And that's kind of a one way of really showing that, that, hey, this is what you knew in the beginning without reading and without um, inquiry. And then this is the thing, something that you have been able to put on top and um, to show that how much you have learned after mm-hmm. or during the, during the unit. Right. So after the mind map and teacher or student will group to, together uh, with the same interest and then they will do like inquiry um, based learning. In this phase, how teacher can guide students to do the uh, inquiry based learning? Um, it has to again come, they don't go into the groups before they have actually done the questions of what do I want to know about the phenomena? And then, then only that, that then they can go into the groups of, of um, similar interests. But um, it doesn't necessarily always have to be even group. They can also be individual or pairs or whatever. It depends. But how does the teacher then go about it is that because they have the, the, the students have set their own questions. What do they want to know? And then the questions can be looked at on a class level or in the student group level. Um, even anonymously, you know, whether these are the kind of questions that came out. And, and then, you know, let's look into the, the, what, which, which ones are kind of the ones that we go into and start doing the inquiry and research. Or it can be, it doesn't always have to be an inquiry. It can be a, um, a building of something or try and, trying out kind of a piloting of, 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 of some kind of a construction. But um, then, then that is when the teacher, because she knows and she has shown also and told the, 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 the students that while you are doing this inquiry or research or, or construction or piloting or something, experimentation, these are the skills that you have to be, you know, sort of learning. So these are the transversal skills. And that is where the objectives come out. That, that is kind of um, also um, assisting. So the, the teacher becomes then a facilitator, facilitating that kind of a process and assisting those students to go further and to, to, to be able to target those objectives, that they have to learn these particular skills during this process. And and that is you know sort of pushing pushing the students forward, and what sometimes is called also also like scaffolding, and um, so the objectives always have to be there in order for the students to go further. Otherwise, you know some because I've have like you know teachers tell me that well how do they motivate the students to go for further or how do they assist them, um, but the thing is that when the inquiry questions and those kind of research questions or the experimentation ideas, um, they come out from the students themselves. So that already motivates them to go further. But then you need to be able to facilitate them towards those skills, not only the content, because often they, you know, they start only looking into the content, but they also need to be remembering that these are the skills that we are at the same time. Um, learning during during so so that, like I said, phenomenon based learning it's more about the process, not so much about the product ending. Kind of like how much content have you found out or how much have you learned? It's not that. It's not assessing kind of that so much because that comes automatically. But then it's re- really um, 
pushing towards learning new transversal skills, the skills for the future. And that is something that, you know, Finland is proud about being number one in, in, in the world. And that is something that we need to be all the time pushing and showing the, the, the students that these are the skills we're learning at the same time. Wonderful. So I want to dive a little bit deeper around the facility uh, process a teacher mm. plays in, in this role. So uh, I'm curious, when you were a teacher, how do you facilitate um, the process? For example, would you like having one-to-one conversation with students regularly to make sure they're developing on the right track aligned with the skills, learning objectives, or you will ask specific questions that can help them to think more deeply? Um, actually, all, all, all of that and even more in a way that, um, yeah, the, the teacher's role is, is to be the person who is asking that kind of questions that make the students think further and and also to have the student ask more questions in a way. You know, too often in a classroom, the teacher asks, asks questions or the exercise book asks the questions for content knowledge in a way that the, the students need to answer, you know, what is the con- what is the kind of the subject content, what is the knowledge or so forth. But but this is not the case in phenomenon-based learning. The thing is that you need to be making them think, making them think critically and to understand where to find more knowledge. Sometimes it, it, for a teacher, you know, for example, when I, w- I was I was ethics, but also civics and, and, and history teacher, of course, I have a no- lot of knowledge about history or civics and, and, you know, how the society works, but I can't be telling them about it so much. I need to be um, showing and, and guiding them to those sources that so that they themselves have the kind of aha moment that you know that they find the information. So the teacher needs to be knowledgeable about the sources of information that there's that there's libraries. So I I would take they take them to the libraries. I would take them to the museums. I would give them you know the experts on Skype or or inviting you know that also even asking the students themselves to to contact experts or you know asking them to 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 come and visit or even asking the students themselves to come up with an idea that where where would they want to go and visit and also in a way that the te- the students themselves are teaching each other and that is really important because what has been it's it's John Hattie I don't know if you know John Hattie from uh, Australia has made this kind of um meta um, analysis of different kind of uh, educational theories or, or and research and um, and what has been found out is that that when the student themselves they are the ones telling about the the phenomena for example that is when they are actually learning not during the time that they are inquiring but when they are telling and showing presenting to other people and and that is why i often at the very end of the phenomenon based learning unit sort of even more step out and step on the side giving them the space to teach each other and to show and and the students are more motivated to to listen to their own friend telling something 
than you know just me talking in the front so my my expertise has to be in it to to give them kind of maybe kind of checklists or showing them how uh, different kind of um, issues are maybe categorized you know kind of giving them the kind of tools for research or for um for finding out you know but and, and also encouraging them in order to to speak for for themselves and and that's something that then you can see that they you know they grow because they become more autonomous as well as as um as learners so they're learning what has been found out by but we have some phd studies being made and that the students actually learn to learn and that is something that they it will carry with them for the you know for the rest of their lives that they learn to learn how how learning happens right I'm a big fan of learn how to learn. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, for a teacher who wants to try out phenomenon-based learning, what is one piece of advice you would give? Yeah, because I think this is kind of a it's a it's a big um, pedagogical DNA. <laughs> I think that has to has to kind of a little bit change in in, in uh, some tr- more traditional teachers that they have to step aside. They have to step. But not totally, like because sometimes the teachers have been telling me that, oh, so I'm not needed anymore. No, you are needed, but you need to be able to create space for curiosity and creativity. And the most important is that if you are able to have the students ask those two questions, what do I know already about it? And then somehow show it what they know. And then the second question, what do I want to know about it? So when they make that question, what do I want to know about it? And then, you know, sometimes the, the students have been asking, so can I ask any question? Is that they are like baffled. Like so sometimes we don't provide this space for the students enough. You know, we need to provide them space for, 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 for curiosity. And what do I want to know about it? And these are the most, if, if a teacher is able to do this, then it will carry on because then, then, you know, you won't be able to in a way stop it anymore. You won't be able to say that, no, 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 you're not allowed to uh, go and go and research or anymore because then, then the children will, because the children are curious, you know, when they come, if you think about a very young child, three years old or four years old or five, you know, they are all about questions. They're only about questions like, how does that work? And what is this like? And why does, why does, you know, that person do this? Or, you know, they're all about questions. And then suddenly when they come to school, you know, do we kill that curiosity? And that is something that we can't kill. We cannot kill the curiosity in the child. And the child and the students need to be curious about the world. How does it function? You know, what makes the world go around and, I, I remember my my own son, who is nowadays thirteen, but uh, almost fourteen. But he was maybe five or six, and he was sitting on a table, and he asked me a question: that the Earth can the um, can it be can it be counted and measured? How how you know wide is it, and and so forth? And I was like, wow, this is a fantastic question from a you know little boy. Uh, thinking about the, the first of all that it's a kind of a you know round ball the earth and can it be measured and so forth and it's fascinating that they can think you know they think so widely and so we need to give 
space. And I think that's number one thing for the teacher to be able to do, that there are these holistic phenomena in the world, um, give space for the students to think, what do they know and what do they want to know? And then give space for them to to make their own research. And it will be fascinating to see like what they come up with. And uh, what I've also been, you know, because my, my husband is a doctor <laughs> um, in, in um, you know, me- in medicine mm-hmm. and, and they are in surgery. And um, luckily, teachers, we are not, we are not in surgery. We are not in brain surgeons, you know, we are not surgery. We're not going deep into the flesh. So in a way that we cannot make um, that kind of mistakes with with the children if, if we give them more space for for curiosity it can it cannot harm them it will give them more joy and and it can be more playful and you know more creative so so if if there's nothing bad you know if, if you six seven weeks of the one whole year if you make this kind of a phenomenon based learning unit and uh, then after that you are thinking about it what what came out of it even though Nothing, no productive came out, but I'm sure that there was more joy and more creative things and the students were able to learn how to learn and that will help them, you know, the rest of the year as well. Yeah, wonderful. So to you personally, what is your core value in um, teaching and learning or education? Well, I think I've, I've, I've said quite a lot already and, and um, my my core value is, is that the, the students are in the school in order to become, uh, you know, um, active citizens. And what kind of active, active citizens we, ha- we need in our society are the kind of st- student, you know, s- citizens that, um, that have an understanding how the, how the world works and, and, and can be critical about things. Because what was really concerning for me in the in the last PISA results of the OECD, is that one out of ten of the eighth graders were able to actually distinguish between fact and fiction, and uh, you know, kind of fake <laughs> and facts. Mm-hmm. And that is something that if you are more critical and if you re- do research and you you are able to understand that there is that you are able to also manipulate the information. You are able to even yourself go into Wikipedia and write it. That's something that I've done also with my students sometimes that they go themselves and write it, not only to take it, but they go and, you know, log in. The thing is that we need curious minds. We need critical minds and we need people who are able to um, build us a um, sustainable future. So that is something that is really, really, you know, school is, is um, an education is uh, in a kind of a critical role of what kind of a society and world we are we are building. So if people want to learn more about your work, how they can find you online? Um, they, well, they can find me, for example, this HelsinkiEducation.com, so our website. And then my email is, is also ilona.taimela at HelsinkiEducation.com, so that's very easy to to. Um, then contact me <laughs> or Great. you know some people have also contacted me through twitter or facebook messenger or <laughs> different there's so many different or linkedin so yeah 
Okay, I will make sure they are all including in the show show notes so people can find you and also go to your health income education consulting group to know more about the workshop around not only phenomenal based learning but other great materials. All right, thank you so much, Ilona. Thank for- you so much. <laughs> thank you for listening. We will put the things mentioned in the interview to the show notes. If you enjoy our show. Welcome to share and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.